Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dadcore Cinema Club. It's a celebration of the cable classic, the middle-brow masterpiece. Those movies that never stop making you wish you could live out on the open range forever and ever. I'm your host, Brandon. With me as always is Charlie. It's me, Charlie. It's Charlie. If you listened last week, you probably heard us talk about Gran Torino. If you haven't, go listen to it. We celebrated Clint Eastwood's birthday and Memorial Day in one episode. But this week, we're talking about the 2003 Kevin Costner classic, Open Range. It's a Western. It's our first Western, I think. Yeah, I think. unless you count uh, the Bruce Willis one. The Last Man Standing's kind of Western-themed, but I don't really... It's our first out-and-out, out, you know? Yeah. A Western you don't have to like have any caveats for. It's the real deal. Yeah, Last Man Standing's like... Oh, it's a mob movie, kind of a Western, kind of a noir. This is just a Western. This is just doing the damn thing. And it's kind of a classic Western. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's just doing it straight faced. It's, it comes out, what is it? This is like 10 years after Unforgiven. Yeah, I'm kind of regretting, uh, blowing my load on Unforgiven takes in last week's. Oh, we're going to get to it again. You, you can't discuss a Western that comes out in 2003 without mentioning Unforgiven a couple of times in the episode. Well, I mean, apparently for me, it's hard to talk about any movie without mentioning Unforgiven. It is kind of, you know, one of the er movies. Uh, I mean, especially in, in the dad core wheelhouse. Which is why we haven't talked about it yet. And we never, ever will. We're going to seed our thoughts on Unforgiven throughout every episode. You won't even need an episode on Unforgiven. It's going to be like the... Uh simpsons uh mcbain where if you go back through all of our episodes you can cut together a full-length episode about unforgiven i was gonna say it's like when you when they make those action figure sets where every single action figure in the set comes with like a little piece of the last action figure in the set so you yep. have to buy all the different parts and piece together the, the extra guy yeah but at the end it's just clint eastwood <laughs> <laughs> you're constructing a clint eastwood mech Ooh. Um, but yes, uh, so <laughs> basically you hit the 2000s and it, and it feels like post Unforgiven, you can't make a classical Western anymore. I think the narrative on Western movies in the late 90s was, can you still make something that is classical, something that is entirely sincere, that doesn't have too much of a revisionist bent post Unforgiven? Like, has Unforgiven broken the Western? And Kevin Costner comes in and says, no, baby. I made this movie for you, people. The people of America, I bring you the Western. It's here again. It's called Open Range. Yeah, I almost feel like at this point in the history of the Western, like you've had revisionist Westerns in 2003 for like 50 years at this point that like really the only direction to go is back, back into earnestness and back into just straightforwardly doing, doing it. And it's romantic in a way that you hardly see Westerns anymore. It's very, like, sweet and very romantic. I'm going to repeat myself. It's very romantic. It's very it's very in love with not just the romance at the center of the movie, because there is a romance, but just romantic for the period and romantic for its characters. Yeah, really romantic for the, the genre and, like, the style of this sweeping epic Western movie. 
where like as much of it as possible is played in the widest shot that you can manage fitting in the most scenery the most horses the most guys that you can get into the most the cows yeah <laughs> the opening shot of this movie i like it i saw the opening shot of this movie my reaction was like whoa that's a beautiful shot because it's just an open range these these beautiful rolling green hills and cutting across it at an angle is like a million cows yeah it's probably like a hundred but it's a lot of cows real real cows probably too not a they didn't do the cg cows in 2003 i don't think too expensive they were waiting for peter jackson to like perfect cg crowd tech yeah cow cow technology hadn't it wasn't where it is today yeah you gotta think like at the time the limits of cow technology probably the peak of cow tech in 2003 was kung pao into the fist which looks great yeah, it holds up today. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch Cow. There's a great cow fight in it. Probably yeah. the best cow cinema you can get. Yeah, they went in a different uh, direction on this one. You know what? I, I kind of wish they had used the cows a little bit more. Like, I feel like I, I feel like Kung Pao kind of gets more out of its cows than this movie does, even though this one's about cattle. Yeah, I mean, for... Could have used them to fights a little bit. For guys that are constantly outnumbered. You'd think they would look to their hundreds of cows. Yeah, like if they counted the cows, they wouldn't be outnumbered in this movie. But they don't. And they are the last uh the last of a dying breed, I guess. This is the, the tail end of the the open range style of, of cattle cattle driving. Yeah, they're the the main characters, Robert Duvall, boss Spearman, and Kevin Costner, uh Charlie, just like you. Charlie wait, Charlie wait. Charlie wait. And not me telling you to wait. His name is Charlie Wait, last name Wait. Yeah, it really uh got a lot easier for me at the end when he reveals his last name is actually Postal Wait. It's like, oh mm-hmm. good, I can finally get going. I can finally stop waiting. <laughs> I, I I would you just keep pausing the movie every time they said his name? Look around, hold completely still. But they're uh, they're these guys are what you call um free grazers because they don't have a ranch and they just run their cows across america free as a bird they're hippies they're deadbeats they are kind of deadbeats and hippies they have money though like boss is always pulling out fat stacks of cash in this movie he's been doing it for a long time it's it's a it's a it's a weird and nice character trait because like i'm thinking like if you're open range free grazers i'm thinking like maybe you'd be struggling to get by because you're constantly buying supplies you can't you know farm your own food you always have to buy stuff like that's got to be more expensive but no this dude's just loaded the whole movie he's got no uh no overheads he's not no Ooh. no maintenance fees he's just living off the fat of uh other people's land that's i'm trying to early on establish myself as on the on the side of michael gambin here against our protagonist <laughs> i'm in favor of the protagonist i i'm in I, you know america's about freedom it's about going out there and taking your cows wherever you want baby living off the grid just no cell phone no not a cell phone in sight just (laughs) two guys and their two kids that aren't their kids just vibing they're two adult sons they they do have two adult sons one of them they keep talking about how young he is and he's 30 and i'm like oh thank god i'm so glad 30 is still a kid because uh boy i was getting worried i was old uh one of them though diego luna looks like he's 14 he is like he's playing like a 16 year old or something he looks so young i I don't know how young he is at the time 
Yeah, he was only like 22, 23. So, I mean, he still looks baby. very young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Diego Luna, known for uh, the great new show coming out, Andor. Everyone is excited for that Star Wars show about the guy from Rogue One. Man, that guy's getting a show too? Did you not know that? God, they are already just scraping yeah. <laughs> scraping the barrel. This, the spy guy gets his show. I heard they built real sets for it, though, so it should actually look decent, maybe. That's cool, I guess, for the people that will watch that. <laughs> yeah. I heard from a friend who knows a guy who works on the set that they built, like, a whole city. Ooh. Well, they built a whole city for open range. Do you know that? A little bit of trivia? Yeah. Uh, apparently, Kevin Costner did not like the sets that they had available, so he said, we need to build a new town, and they built a new town. Yeah, that's sick cost like a tenth the budget i think something like that you gotta have some pull to to do something like that i feel like you gotta be kevin costner i mean it, the, when the director of dances with wolves says hey i want to make a town the studio goes okay <laughs> even post water world though it seems like that's a feather in his cap you get one massive bomb <laughs> i guess unless you're kevin costner to be fair, this movie only cost $22 million. This was a small-budget movie for him. Oh, okay. This was him scaling back. Well, it looks great. Yeah, I, I think, like, maybe towns are cheaper to build than I thought they were. They built that town for apparently only $2 million, which doesn't seem like much. Why don't they just build a real town for people <laughs> to live in? <laughs> uh, the town... The town's where they have all the trouble, though. Which, you know, Before... as a as a property owning american if four guys show up with like 400 cows on my lawn i'm gonna have a problem with it too you know i can relate to that you're not gonna let them graze no i'm gonna shoot them <laughs> as is my right i will let them graze i don't own my lawn though i'm a, i have an apartment so they can do whatever they want down there <laughs> it's not really in my not my grass just get away when i'm trying to pull my car out just don't don't loiter in the parking lot they do seem like they are just passing through, though. They send their one of their little adult sons back to get some supplies after a long rain, and he doesn't come back. Mm-hmm. So they got to go after him to the town. Because yeah, the opening of this movie, because we kind of skipped past it, but I, I really love the opening of this movie. It's like, it's like 20 minutes of just setting the tone and just hanging out with the characters. It's very relaxed. It is them going across the field talking about where they're going to go next and what they're going to do the rain hits and they set up camp they play cards they make dinner they relax they clean up camp they get washed up it's just 20 minutes of them just doing their like regular menial tasks and the movie just has the patience to sit with them and establish the relationships in their lives so that when things start to happen it matters yeah no it's definitely really good and it's good use of the time because like as far as like plot goes there's like two story beats really so like they do have the time to sit in this and just let you like absorb the atmosphere and the and the boys being boys uh aspect of it it's and nice. that's what i found like so nice about this movie it's so pleasant it's so kind of laid back 
and and it just kind of it's willing to sit with its story and sit with its characters for a bit so that when violence comes into the story it matters and it's like jarring yeah because when stuff kicks off in the last act of this movie it's it's yeah it's jarring it's it's a huge tonal shift yeah well like the violence that kicks off the movie year the viewer is shielded from you don't you only see the aftermath of it mm-hmm. it's like apparently but it seems brutal because when they go to town they find their friend and yeah most he's like beat to hell he's a big guy too like he's big tough dude they describe the fact that he actually took on four guys and he beat the hell out of them too but he's like concussed he's all beat to hell then he needs to go to the doctor and get like surgery but yeah we don't see the fight but he we know he got brutalized i thought it was interesting that they're worried at one point um one of them says a crack on the head can make a man strange for the rest of his days man they're really really ahead of the curve on a awareness of head injuries like yeah they they diagnose uh one of the characters later with a concussion and i was yeah. like i wonder how long we've known about concussions well not only that it's just like in movies and in westerns specifically people are getting hit in the head with the butts of guns constantly with like no no ill effects from that so to like have a movie be like hey actually when you get hit in the head with a gun it like fucks you up potentially for the rest of your life it was kind of cool yeah, that's a, like where the movie has a little bit of that modern edge to it. Like it is really sincere, but it doesn't shy away from the fact that the violence that exists in its world, while sometimes necessary, is horrific. Yeah, it's like the it's like an update on classic West, westerns, but not in a way that's like commenting on the genre, just in a way that it's using modern sensibilities to mm-hmm. say things a little more explicitly than you could have gotten away with in like the 50s. Absolutely. It it feels like modern, like you said, modern sensibilities applied to classic Western, like romanticism. It's cool that it's losing either. Yeah. And it, that it works so well. I feel like that, like it doesn't feel extremely like cheesy. I don't know. It, it worked on me. A lot of good performances, I think helped that a lot. Yeah. Costner and Duvall are incredible. Both really good. Yeah. I saw costner saying that uh like as soon as he read the story and decided he was going to make the movie that duval was like his only choice and he might not have made it if he hadn't signed on yeah he also gave duval top billing which is an incredible i think like such an impressive move to me because costner's director of this movie costner is the star of this movie costner is the producer of this movie in every way he could have just given himself top billing a star i mean He's the one who's in charge. And it, and he gave Duvall because Duvall's the person he wanted for this movie. I mean, like, you can take on as many roles as you want in a movie, but the top is always going to be Robert Duvall fan if he's in your, <laughs> he's in your movie. He's His ultimate seed. really. Yeah, they have, like, a really easy natural chemistry with each other, too. Like, it, you really believe that they have been hanging out but in like a work setting for a decade or however long they say it's been. Yeah. And a lot of that is just told very simply. Like there's not a lot of these characters talking about their past together. There's not a lot of Duvall and Costner saying, Hey, remember this time? Remember this? Like, Hey, there's not this implied history from, there's not, there's not an explicitly stated history from like conversations between them. There's an implied history from the way they trust each other 
from the way they talk about each other, from just the pauses in Duvall's speech, like when Duvall talks, it's not just like what he says, it's when he's pausing and what that implies about the thought process of this character and what he's saying at the time. It's the way uh, Coster defers to him on everything throughout the movie. You can tell that, you know, boss is the boss. But at the same time, boss is constantly going to Costner. Like, he's constantly going to Charlie for help. And he listens. And there's this, like, just their interactions have so much implied history and trust between them while still putting boss at the top. Yeah, yeah. It 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 works really well, like, selling you on their history without having to, like, do the goofy, like, oh, remember when... This reminds me of five years ago when we did such and such. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the, like just implicit like trust and like unquestioning of each other it yeah it's just very believable to me and that dynamic is i think i mean the dynamic is that dynamic is the core of the movie even like on a thematic level because what those two characters are is robert duvall's boss spearman is a dreamer who sees that dream of like being the open range uh herder being the open range cattleman who um is free, isn't tied down, doesn't have anything to, to leave him anywhere, but doesn't believe in violence. He's a guy who believes that like you should not hurt other people unnecessarily. He's he's very kind of heart. And then his number two, uh, Charlie Waite, is this like seasoned gunman cowboy who is has like kind of this darker side, but looks to Boss Spearman as this like symbol of hope to make him a better person. You get the sense that like they have they have improved each other's lives and made each other better, and you can tell through other interactions that like Charlie looks up to Boss because Boss is kind of like a spiritual guide to being a better person from Charlie's past. Like Charlie is this like gunman who's okay with killing, looks up to Boss Spearman because he's not because he's a man with morals, and you like you don't even need the like the movie gets into that explicitly later, but you don't even need that because you can read it in their interactions early on. Yeah, and that like Costner is just like this pragmatic kind of like doer of things where, and he kind of needs, uh, needs the Duval character to know where to like aim that he's the weapon. Yeah. <laughs> and devolves the hand pulls the trigger. Yeah. So they, they show up to find their, their man beaten and, uh, the, he's a marshal sheriff, marshal, mm-hmm. marshal, marshal, and like the the big boss of the town are there to uh make very thinly veiled threats at them yeah it turns out this town is run by a big rancher big business in town doesn't want the free grazers around yeah it's a very old western trope that i mean it just works it plays you got the big evil guy that runs the town but also explicitly here ranching free ranching versus owning like a a a, 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 bun- a plot of land ranching is like the movie's very surface level he- very heavy-handed metaphor for the like end of the west this right. is there's a lot of movies that do end of the west stories a lot of the times end of the west is a expressed through the encroachment of the federal government and something like butch cassidy and the sundance kid uh when law enforcement can kind of come for you because you've it turns out your days of free ranging are gone or your days of being an outlaw are gone. Uh, or sometimes it's the railroad and something like once upon a time in the West where the railroad coming through 
represents progress of the end of the free West. Uh, in this movie, it is land ownership. It is owning a ranch. The idea that someone could have a big business that makes a lot of money owning land and having a ranch versus the old ways of not owning any land and just going across the land in your, with your cows. Which they, Duval and Costner are not like, they, Duval's ideologically completely opposed to this guy, but they're not like looking to hang around and fight with this guy. They take their man to the doctor and then they're, they're out of there. Um, but the doctor is where the, the third main player of all this is introduced. It's Annette Benning as the doctor's sister. His sister? Not his wife. Not his wife. <laughs> I love that that's the root of the romance in this movie is when they go to the doctor to get their, their adult son uh, fixed up. Like Costner is, is like ogling the, the lady, Annette Benning. He has like googly eyes for her. He's like in love at first sight, but he just thinks it's the doctor's wife. So he's like, ah, forget about it. <laughs> She's already taken. Yeah, he's not. It's not there to steal wives. The movie's like telegraphing that they're falling in love with each other. I'm just like, wait, is he going to like be an adulterer with the doctor's <laughs> wife? Well, you know, they're going to get together because they're the two movie stars in the movie. Mm-hmm. Not, not the only two movie stars in the movie. Well, I guess Kevin Costner could have ended up with Duval at the end. There's also Michael Jeter. Oh, yeah, Michael Jeter. Michael Jeter plays the guy who takes their horses at the whatever. The corral. The the corral michael jeter uh everyone's favorite guy from elmo's world he played mr noodle see to me he's the guy from the fisher king he's mm-hmm. like street person i babysat a lot in the early 2000s so he is mr noodle to me <laughs> and when jurassic park 3 came out and he was in it i was oh, like oh yeah, mr Jurassic- noodle's playing a mercenary he gets he gets ed up in jurassic park 3 i he's thought it was funny uh Duval immediately starts calling him like old timer and like geezer and stuff. Like, there's no way this guy's older than you are. <laughs> I think you could call anyone old. Hey, old timer. You just have to establish yourself as being young. You take it's, all, it's, it's kind of extra rude in hindsight since this is Michael Jeter's last role and he's just getting made fun of. He's like, yeah, he's got a, he's also feels like a Western stock character, like mm-hmm. the crotchety old bearded man. Uh, he's like, um, what's his name? Like William Sanderson in, in Last Man Standing. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a barkeep, though. He's the, yeah. the horse keep. Like, this movie's not a Yojimbo, but it does have the, like, oh, the wacky guy in town is the one who helps the heroes. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, the threat that the big rancher gives them, played by Michael Gambone. Uh, he, he, the threat he gives them is is really as uh thinly veiled as you could it's it's not even failed he's yeah. just like a couple free free rangers came by like last year and uh suddenly you know their cattle stampeded and they got shot in the confusion and costner's immediately like oh they get shot in the back like i love that costner sees through it and it's just like immediately calling bullshit aggressing <laughs> because that's why they stick around they were they were just gonna graze and leave town like they only sent their buddy back to get supplies so they could continue on their journey. But they stick around because, you know, the rancher uh, threatened them. Well, yeah, more than threatened their buddy. Yeah, almost killed him. 
But uh, yeah, the doc fixes them up and sends them on their way, and then they go back to be further accosted by the fucking scarecrow mask people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before that happens, uh, Duvall has a great quote that I think is kind of just the theme of the movie. Uh, when he's asking about moving on, or Costner wants to move on, he's like, we got to stay. And the reason why, Duvall says, cattle are one thing. A man telling another man where he can go in this country is something else. He's free, goddammit. Yeah, that's like ultimately the thing in the story is it's about freedom to do whatever you want in, in America. And like his qualm with the ranchers, the rancher has told them like, I'm going to kill you because you're not allowed to be free anymore. Even though like free ranching at this time, it should be stressed. What they're doing is was still legal at the time. I don't think you can be a free ranger these days, but it was still legal back then. I I mean, is there open land anymore? Is there that's any, like, why that's why it's illegal. Is there any it's unowned property you, in the U.S.? There's nowhere you can go. Yeah, even like Montana somewhere. Duval's character is just a libertarian. He kind of is a libertarian. He's like, listen, I should be able to drive my cattle wherever I please. Also, these age of consent laws are insane. I should be able to marry Diego Luna, my little son that I adopted. And that's when Costner's like, all right, buddy, maybe uh, I'm with you on the cow stuff, but <laughs> you're losing me a little bit. Yeah, we got to back off of this kid. Man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it also is like a good character moment because it's set up by Costner saying like, oh, is it like worth dying for some cows? And he's like, cows, no, but... I'll die for my, for my rights. He also is right because I think if they had left, I think the implica- I mean, obviously implication, if they had left that night, or they couldn't have left that night because their buddy was too injured. So they, they were under attack no matter what. Yeah, I mean, and they see the, the people on horseback scouting out there. Mm-hmm. What do you call it? A flock? A herd? Herd. A flock. <laughs> the flock, flock of cows. Of cows. Uh... It's my favorite 80s band. Flock of cows. <laughs> Flock of cows. Yeah, they got to go get the drop on them. Duval gets off a sick line when they when they do go that night to like run off these guys. They walk up. He's got his gun out and he's like one twitch and you're in hell. Uh, yeah, that, that scene is sick. Uh, they sneak up on these guys in the middle of the night. And it's a lot of like confusing shots of trees and it's really smoky and dark. I just... They get these guys on the ground and like Costner's immediately shoving a gun in the back of a dude's head. And he's going to blast him. He wants right to. Into... He, he wants, wants you to so kill bad. all these guys. Yeah. He's killed before. It's the first hint you get that Costner's character is not a good person is the fact that the second they get these guys on the ground, he's like about to just kill them all immediately. And Duvall stops him and says, we, you know, we're not killing people. Instead, they just pants him. And put them on the ground. Yeah, they make them take their pants off. They give them the all one wedgies. Dude, like, the one dude doesn't want to, and he's just like they end up. What is he? He hits him with the butt of his gun. Yeah, you know that can really mess a mess a man up. He scrambles his eggs a little bit, and his head. I don't know. Scramble your brains. Guess your eggs are down. But while they're doing that, they forgot about their two adult sons. You never forget about your two adult sons. They got the bloodlust. They got their yeah. 
They left up. a 16 year old boy to watch their wagon and their 30 year old injured boy. And as soon as they leave, they're like, I got some sugar in the wagon. Let's get crazy. <laughs> I I want I wish I had seen what that was because they don't show it. I'm like, when he said sh- they have, he has sugar in the wagon, does he mean just like just like raw sugar? He means or is sugar. That like they show it after the, sh- after the shootout. When they come back to the wagon, they show like a bag of sugar with bullet holes in it. Were they just eating handfuls of sugar? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you how you got sugar in your body back then. Maybe they were doing sugar water. You just sprinkle some on a cow and you take a big bite. <laughs> maybe they're just yeah. Maybe they were doing that. Maybe they're eating grass with sugar on it. I don't know. Snorting it. Some dirt. <laughs> you put sugar on anything back then just to make it palatable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You wouldn't eat grass on its own, but with a little sugar, it's very nice. Good on easy. But most dies, he gets killed for real. And when they come back to camp, there's like a really beautiful shot, I think. It's Duvall leaning over the body of Diego Luna because he's been shot. And the wagon is on the right of the frame and it's Duvall and leaning over Diego Luna's body and like the center left. And through the wagon is coming moonlight. And because it's coming through the wagon wheels, it's coming through as these rays because it's breaking through the sides of this of this wagon. And it's it's these like moon rays coming through from the right as like smoke from the battle wafts through this like bright white light and this like dark blue background for the night. It's it's a it's a really nice looking frame, actually. It's a really good looking movie. Mm-hmm. Like it. uh, It doesn't have that big, like super saturated, like Vista Vision look of the big uh, classic color Westerns. It's a lot like less saturated a lot more muted but it's like really really pretty and i think it makes really good use of the scope framing there's just so many shots where the isolation of the characters is used really well or there's just actually a wide composition that uses every element of the frame to express what it's saying like the opening shot we described before where every bit of that scene is covered in either the sweeping hills or cattle to express like the largeness of the expanse and how big their herd is. Yeah, it's like it's well composed frames, but if your eye does stray from like the main focal point of the scene, there's like interest all over mm-hmm. usually. I think Kevin Costner, he's got a good eye. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't I'm not like a big Costner guy. I don't think of him really as being a great director, but this is like a, a really well put together movie. Yeah, I mean he it's kind of crazy because he makes good looking movies. Dances with Wolves is also a really good looking movie. The cinematographer of this movie did steady cam on Dances with Wolves. So they had worked together previously. Like Costner's genuinely like he's made some really great movies. It's just surprising that he hasn't made more. Like after something like Open Range and this was a success. And he's able to make movies that look this good. It's crazy that he hasn't done more movies. Yeah, did this perform well? I didn't even look at that. It made like $66 million on a $22 million budget. I mean, it seems like totally forgotten. It was, it was a success. Like, it was actually a success for him. But I think he just, I don't know. He seems like he doesn't want to direct unless he has something he wants to direct. Mm. Like, like, him being willing to not even do this movie if he couldn't get Duvall 
means that he cares more about whether or not he cares about the project, like on a deep level, than if like just the act of directing. Yeah, I just, I guess it feels like this for like the star power in it and how like accomplished it feels watching it. It just like did not make a huge impression. Mm -hmm. Like when it's kind of, yeah, it does feel kind of forgotten because I hadn't heard anyone talk about it till like, I think someone brought it up to me like in the last couple months or last year. Yeah. It seems like the people that do bring it up really like it. It just doesn't like when you talk about great modern Westerns, I don't see it popping up a lot. Yeah, like this was my first time watching it and I didn't know it existed until like a year ago. I remember seeing it in the theater with my dad when it came out, but all I remember about it is the cigars and the chocolate and the shootout at the end. It was my only didn't I couldn't tell you what That's the plot was. That's a good part to remember though. Yeah. That's what my little kid brain was all about. You just cigars. couldn't wait to smoke and eat chocolate. Yep. Which I did right after I left the theater. I was 11 <laughs> years old. My dad said, smoke up. Said, better smoke these while we have a chance. <laughs> and we got in a big gunfight. Yeah, but were the ranchers waiting for you outside? The <laughs> yeah, the ranchers weren't going to kill us. But then after seeing the movie, they were like, oh, maybe these guys are a threat. They've been free grazing too long. <laughs> these parents have been letting their little boy graze on our lawn. They put barbed wire up. <laughs> but like after after uh Mose gets killed and Diego Luna gets shot and fucked up and they they bring him back to the doctor. They bury uh, I want to talk about this first. They bury oh, Mose. And yeah. I think that's a really good scene. And the dog, uh, who we haven't talked about at all. And the dog. The dog gets killed too. Which was an old dog. I, I love the way that Costner describes her when I think it was a female dog. When the dog wanted to come with him to go to town, he's like, the dog thinks that it wants to go, but it, it doesn't. Like, the body, like, the heart's still willing, but the body isn't, is the way he describes the old dog. Mm -hmm. So it's a very sweet way of describing an old pet. It's past its prime. But the fucking ranchers killed the dog. Yeah, they killed the fucking dog. So they bury the dog with Mose, and I think it's really sweet because we said you said it's not as colorful as old westerns, but I think the scene of him there are scenes where they actually up the color and it pops, and the scene of him burying Mose is very colorful in a way that like they clearly adjusted it because it does not look colorful in the way that the real world is colorful. Uh, yeah, like the sky really pops in that scene. We're in Costner's mind for that one. Mm -hmm. But when he buries him, he wants to say, Costner wants to say words to God. And Duvall says, I ain't talking to that bastard. Yeah, he's like. So he says, son of a bitch. That son of a bitch. And then in his prayer, Costner's like, I'm pretty mad at you for what you, for what you did. <laughs> and I think that's an interesting, and, and a, it's, a, it's a really, it's a really interesting note for the themes of the movie is that the religious one is Costner. And the one who isn't as religious is the Duvall character. When the Duvall one is the less violent one and Costner is like, he is the more violent one. And it's like, you know, I wonder if like, you know, yeah, maybe he's, maybe he's more religious because he has that violent uh, past he's repenting for. Yeah. I like to, with their dynamic, I feel like in a lot of Westerns you get like the old head and like the young gun, um, which isn't really what's going on here because 
you you do have like the the old head that's in charge and the the young gun that's kind of like looks up to him but the young gun is also like an older guy yeah he's also the old head yeah they're they're both weathered one is just more so yeah it's it's like the only reason that this costner character who i don't know how old costner's movie he's probably like 40 something at this time because he's like in his 60s now uh I like mean, he, in, he looks like someone in his 40s. Yeah, he could be like his own man. And the only reason he's with the Duvall character is because he respects him and he looks up to him. And that guy directs him in a way that makes him a better person. And that's part, I think, what makes their dyna- dynamic work so well, too, is that it is this aged adult male best friendship instead of this like, oh, this young guy follows him because he has to because he's young and inexperienced. It's this guy could be out on his own, but he respects boss too much. Yeah, they're work friends. They've kind of got like almost like a father-son relationship. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I thought it was... Because uh, the bad guys do... They kill the dog. That's how you know that they're really bad guys. And like two scenes later, Costner saves a dog. Mm-hmm. So they do they do both things in the movie. They have the good guy save the pet and the bad guys kill a pet. I love the I love the pet scene. It's the middle of the storm and they're trying to sneak into the bar because they want to start they want to like basically do espionage so they can kill the sheriff or the sorry the the marshal and they're just like trying to cross the street in the middle of this flood and the street just rushing with water and they're crossing with guns but they don't use their guns at this point in the movie yet but they have they're fully loaded but the bridge they built breaks and coster's like buried halfway like up to his waist in water in the middle of this road you know, now I understand why we why we put down pavement roads in the city because we don't want to get buried in up to our knees in mud. Mm, I like but, the uh, mud. Then the dog just like there's like a, a guy just comes out and says, "Catch the dog!" <laughs> and there's just a dog floating. They do a a, a little dog, bit of physical comedy too, where like to cross the street at first he just like throws a plank down and it just washes away immediately. It washes away and it knocks over a building that's in the middle of being constructed <laughs> and it collapses and everyone comes out of the attached diner to look at it. And he's like, maybe you should have built it in a different spot. Shouldn't have been there. But like wh- when I was saying before that there are only like a couple actual plot beats, it's like once they bring Diego Luna back to the town the rest of the movie is essentially like, all right, we're going to kill these guys now. It's a revenge movie. Yeah. It is. We're going to kill these guys and we might die in the process, but that's okay with us. And like interwoven in that is Costner's uh, kind of pining affair with Annette Benning, And how that represents like, what's the word I want to use? Uh, salvation for him and his soul, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, some kind of possible redemption for him. So important to the character and in getting into the romance arc is right before they return to town or return with Diego Luna that he has a conversation with Boss where they talk about their past for the first time. Cause does. Cause uh he looks angry after they, you know, get the guys and Duvall's like, What's up? And then he explains it to him that night and he explains his history, which is like, Hey, we met ten years ago, but before that like, I killed a man when I was a teenager because a, a man was pressuring his mom for money, so he killed the guy. And then he's like, I was good at killing, so I joined the army in the Civil War. 
And I don't think they say what side he fought on. No, they don't. I feel don't. like the implication is the South. It seemed like they made a point of not specifying. It did, but I feel like... Yeah, they they didn't say. It's not like he the soldiers, fight for a like, side. He was just out there killing people. Yeah, he's like... Yeah, because he just says, yeah, the government was like hiring special forces to do guerrilla warfare against the other side. I the feel enemy. like that sounds like what the South was doing. Maybe it, it's the same enemy from Top Gun. <laughs> this is Maybe it wasn't the Civil War. Did cinematic... he say the word civil? He yeah. might have just said the war. It's in a it's in this cinematic universe where the US has been at war with the enemy for like two hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was he... the aliens from Avengers. It could have been anybody. Yeah. He does Body snatchers. Werewolf. Zombie with no conscience. <laughs> And Costner is a motherfucking monster. He is. He's that, a that's, that's the point of his story. He's like, I was good at killing. And then he's like, then I worked for ranchers like, like Baxter. I was a bad guy. I killed people like us for a living. And then I gave it up and I joined you because you didn't make, because I, I didn't want to do it anymore. You made me maybe not do that. And he, but he says, he says like, this line that I think is important to the character. He says, sometimes I almost make it through a day with without thinking about what i'd done yeah i mean and he says too like when when stuff starts going down he's like i don't have a problem with killing i never have mm-hmm. that like he's he's still got it if yeah time like, duvall tells him you know this might in, this might involve killing which leads up to the line you just said so like duvall's like i'm he's still thinking about the cost of killing and cost is just like the cause is just like whatever we need to do like i'm gonna kill people i'm good at it it's what i've done it's it is his character is kind of like uh it's his name eddie money in unforgiven eddie money yeah like the singer his name's william money william money there we go <laughs> close enough i got half of it right yeah his name's money for william sure. money it's 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 like if william money we if we caught up with him right before he met his wife right so he's still a bad guy but he has the opportunity to save himself. That's where on the arc, the Costner character is where he's remorseful for his past and he wants to change, but he hasn't yet met his wife. He's about to, that's where we're meeting him in his arc. I think this is taking a little bit different, uh, track though, than oh yeah. an Eastwood character. Like, in these Eastwood movies late in his career, usually the arc is like, I've had this really violent past. And now that I'm older, like I realize that there's no real escaping for it, but I can use that violence inside of me to some like better purpose. Mm-hmm. Whereas this feels like the Costner character is like, I, I've done these violent things and I can continue, but there could be something for me after that, that like it's possible for me to become something else and not do this anymore. Yeah. Yes. That that's what I was getting at. I think it is what makes this different from an Eastwood track and to contrast this with Unforgiven, which is a very, very different movie. Uh, This is like, this is the uh, William money who thinks he can still change. And Mm. in this movie can still change. Right. So Unforgiven, we catch him years later where he's like, Oh, turns out I can't because I'm still a piece of shit. I've always been a piece of shit. Oops. <laughs> this this movie, it's it's take on that kind of character is actually if you find a woman, like you if you find love 
and a home and something you can ground yourself with, with values. Like you can change is the vision of this movie. It is. That's what makes this movie romantic while right. still understanding the inherent like evil nature of violence. Yeah, no. Yeah, it definitely has a, a more hopeful outlook, mm-hmm. I think, for that kind of character. But that that's what gives it a, a classic feeling. And then the the anger, the grit of that Costner's background of his character gives it that modern sensibility tying it, to it. It's really nice, too, that the the love interest, the like his potential savior is someone that's like his own age that mm-hmm. has her own shit going on and feels very like complete uh whole whole person i I, every character we feels like a whole person even if we don't see them on screen very much i feel like every character that we meet feels like they have their own story and arc and understanding the guy whose dog they save has an arc and a like history and a family and like an interiority that we understand even though he has like three scenes it's like really efficient to that because we meet, we meet him when, when um, Costner saves the dog. We see him later when he buys them drinks, even though they're like shooting up the place. He's like, I'm buying you drinks because I respect you. And then at the end, he has like a redemption moment where he like, he shoots a bad guy. Yeah, he blasts some guy. Blasts him. Like that guy gets an arc across three scenes that feels whole and complete, even though he is a side character. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking throughout the run of this that like now something like this would definitely just be a tv show mm-hmm. and i feel like if it was like you would lose that kind of like um efficiency like i don't i don't think it helps that kind of character to make him have like his own episode or whatever that like yeah, we don't need to know more about his relationship with his kids other than the fact that he has two adult sons that he mm. loves a lot and doesn't want to see die. It's a big theme in this. <laughs> yeah, this this is the adult sons movie. <laughs> but Annette Benning, um, she's yeah, she has her own arc because in her conversations with Costner, when they finally get down to talking about like love and stuff, she's talking about how she, oh, I've been waiting my lifetime to find somebody, and I've been waiting for the right guy to come through. And in a small town, that doesn't happen very often. And I can see your kindness. She sees the kindness in his heart, which is supposed is like a really sweet but also comes across like look dude i'm desperate (laughs) and you'll do i mean it also reads as like i've been around the block long enough to know that like the perfect guy isn't Mm -hmm. walking around the corner and like she has at one point she says like there's something there if you know what you're looking for or whatever they're like she knows she's been around long enough to like know what she's looking for in a person and he's got it and it's not like hard for her to tell that yeah to be serious it has this like it has this realism about relationships which is you're not going to find the perfect person especially if you're in your 40s in a small town in the west in in 1882 like that right guy might never come through and like it's it's kind of settling in the sense that like she's not looking for the perfect man anymore but also it's just realistic and it the movie truly does believe through their arc and their relationship that what they can find will be romantic and real in its own right. Even if she is like saying right here, look, you're not the perfect guy. Like what, what they're talking about is a realistic and sweet 40 year old relationship. It's like incredibly romantic to me. 
Mm-hmm. No, that's I'm getting at. Like, it's super romantic. Well, also, like, it, the, the way she talks about it, she sounds like someone who's like, I've, I'm realistic about expectations now because I'm, I'm, I'm older and like, shut up. I, I think you're perfect for for what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's not romantic because it's like mad magic or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like what romance is actually like. It's- I th- yeah, that's what I, I guess that's that's what I'm getting at is it feels like a, like a real romance instead of a oh it's love at first sight because we have like goo eyes for each other. It's like no, we're two realistic adults that are, are not sure but want to try this thing that we think is what we're looking for. And Annette Bening is such an incredible actor. I like I love her so much. I feel mm. like she could probably just sell me on anything. Her and Costner sell the shit out of that relationship. Yeah. Yes. Man, and like, it, he's also just like incredibly honest with her the whole mm-hmm. time, which is refreshing. I think it was like at one point he's like, "Listen, like tomorrow, some people are gonna die, and I'm going to be the one that kills them." She's like, "I don't mind." He's like, "That's fine. <laughs> I'm okay with you killing people. That was the agreement when you showed up. Some folks just need killing." There's a really sweet moment early in there. It's the first scene, I think, when they show up and she gives them tea. And mm. Duvall and Costner are drinking their tea and they get these little, they get those little like fancy teacups with tiny little handles. And normal people know how to hold those. But Costner and Duvall are trying to get their fingers through the, like the tiny <laughs> little handles of the teacup instead of just grabbing the sides of the handle. And they're confused by it. And she just kind of giggles and gives them bigger mugs. And it's it's a very sweet moment of, oh, these guys don't really know what like polite society stuff is this kind of like fancy city people stuff yeah they've been out in the woods for so long that this like backwater town is (laughs) like upscale to them and it's it's really sweet and it's a really funny moment there's not a lot of funny moments like moments of levity in this movie especially once things get going with the consequences which takes up like the last hour and a half of this movie um but that moment is like manages to be really sweet and really funny without undercutting its characters or the drama of the story. Duval gets some good stuff. He seems like he's having mm-hmm. a good time. He is. The I'm thinking of when uh they go back in the town and manage to like lock up some of their their enemies in the jail and in the morning Duval like dances in there with a violin to like mm-hmm. wake them up. Does a little jig. Very funny. Oh. Around the time that they introduce on that bending, we find out about Duvall's background, which is that he used to be married before he met the Costner character. And we find out the reason he's an open range guy is not because it's like truly deep in his soul that's his ideology or whatever. It's because he used to have a home and he used to have a um, a, fam- a wife and then he lost her. And he hasn't wanted to settle down, not because he's like, so feels it in his heart that like freedom is the thing that he needs. It's because he can't settle down anymore after losing the love of his life, which gives him like this kind of like really kind of sad, tragic backstory that also grounds and like makes you further understand what drove everything he's done in this movie. Yeah. It's, I like too, that they, because of like the people they are in the era that they're living in, that they like, they do have this closeness and they have, been working together for a decade they say but like it you believe that they do not know anything about each other 
Because yeah, he looks at he looks at Costner and gives him like a smirk and goes, "You didn't know I was married, huh?" <laughs> they don't know each other's names. Yeah, they don't know each other's like full names. It's yeah. It, like, there's this. They're they're work friends. They're not you know talking about their lives. Yeah, but also, that tells you about how much those elements of their lives they kept from each other hurt them. Yeah, yeah. But this is a a big part of the motivation for the rest of the movie because Duvall says that he's decided he wants to settle down again. And his reason is he wants to give the Diego Luna character a home. It's like that kid should not be living out on the range anymore. I'm When we get through this, I'm getting him a home to settle down in. Wait, so he wants to own a bar? Mm-hmm. That's sweet. He's a dreamer. Yeah, I think it's important, though, to note that like he he's not violent in the way that the Costner character is. But like... There's no, there's no room in, in the West for like a pacifist. Like, he he will shoot people and kill people if that's what he's got to do. He's not like the only difference between him and Coster is he doesn't like it. Right. He yeah. Or he doesn't feel good about it. I don't think Coster likes killing, but uh, Duvall like won't go to it if he doesn't have to. Whereas Coster is okay with it. I I. I just think it's interesting that there is like this underlying notion that like sometimes you do just have to kill people though. Even a, a guy as sweet as uh, Duval, he'll shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. But he won't smash a mug in the barkeep's face. Yeah, that was pretty cool though. That's fucking sick. He will laugh about it. Well, should we get into the big, the big gunfight? Not yet, because the way we get there, I think, is funny, which is in the middle of the storm, they try to lay out a plan of how they're going to take on the town. And Costner's plan is, I think we should take the jailhouse, trap the 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 marshal in the jailhouse. And then when the rancher comes in to check up on things, we'll have him trapped. And they have like a it's it's another one of their jokes of like Duvall's like. Kind of like, oh, I'll think about it. And Costner gets like really offended that he didn't take his suggestion seriously. And he like walks away hurt. And like, I, I feel it. I'm like, oh, wait, this this is the number one guy of the of the outfit feeling like the boss hasn't respected his input and walks away like he's going to go cry. He does the sad Charlie Brown walk away. Yeah, he was very sad. He, he stands out in the rain and devolves like, come back in from the rain. <laughs> Was, I thought that was very. I thought that's very sweet. Another note of the relationship of the respect between them. Duvall is willing to ask him for help, but and it will genuinely hurt the Costner character if he doesn't treat it with as much respect as he thinks it deserves. Right. But they do use that plan. They do go ambush the sheriff, and they trap well, him. In. When they decide they're doing this and they know they're probably going to die, they go. They go buy a bunch of Belgian oh, yeah. chocolates and Cuban cigars. Oh, that's after they get the sheriff, though. They get the sheriff oh. in town. They they like oh, trap right, the right, sheriff right, right. and they drug him with chloroform. Yeah, and all of his team, because uh, they get they did they go in and just draw their guns on the sheriff. They put him in this jail cell, and then Costner uses Duvall's bait to get the rest of the guys in the jail cell too. And they they chloroform the hell out of those guys, which I learned from this movie makes you groggy like a drunk for a long time. And then they go and they buy supplies for when the rancher comes in the morning and they go and they buy 
the most expensive chocolate they can in cigars. And they get, uh, what is it, Swiss chocolate? Is it Swiss? I thought they said Belgian. Whatever. It's all the same. I think it was. I think the guy said Switzerland. And he's like, he he says his chocolate comes all the way from Switzerland. That's near France. Oh, see, yeah, all those none of those countries are real. <laughs> when you start listing them off, it's just gibberish to me. Uh, speaking of different countries, we were talking a little off mic about uh Michael Gambon. He's his character, the big boss of the town is doing an Irish accent that I thought was very goofy. Turns out he's an Irish person. I think he knows better. I want some, uh, I want some listener feedback. If we got any Irish people out there, is his accent good? (laughs) Sean, if you're listening, please tell us. Is what he is doing. What people sound like. Yeah. When he says he didn't come all the way from Ireland. Is that, is that what they sound like? Is that what you guys sound like? Let us know. Let us know. I thought it sounded fine. <laughs> but I don't know anything. Exposing myself here. I thought he was English because he's Dumbledore. Yeah, I mean, why would they let an Irish person in there? I mean, like, in other things that I've seen him in, he's not. that's not like his natural accent. Who like, knows? Who can say what his natural accent is? You're right. Maybe he doesn't have one. Maybe Lawrence Olivier taught him a different act, taught him to speak differently. Ooh. Because he was born in Ireland, but maybe that's not how he... Maybe he does speak like an Englishman. We'll never know. Impossible to find this out. Yeah. uh, Who knows? All I know is he was born in Dublin. But yeah, Duvall's character, his idea of... like, It's him doing like one last thing before I leave this mortal coil, right? And it's, I want to buy good chocolate. I want the best, most special snack you have. And he eats right in the store, and he he like he makes the shopkeep eat some. Yeah, because the shopkeep had never had any. He's too poor. He's so sweet about it. He's like, he's like, I can't believe you've never bought this. He's like, it'd be ashamed to go forever without tasting something. And he makes him eat a piece. They give a uh, Jeter a cigar too. Mm-hmm. It's very sweet. It, it's very much a like. As much as Duvall is doing this as this is the last thing I want to do in this world, it's also like I want to make sure other people are enjoying. Like the privileges of things. Yep, and that's right before the shootout where they the real one big element of uh genre subversion they get into here. Where like we haven't really talked about it, but throughout the movie they're kind of hyping up the Hank Murdoch of this movie. Yeah, it's, it's this movie's Tank Murdoch. Tank Murdoch, uh his name's Baxter. No, his name's Butler. Butler. No, okay, yeah, Michael Gambon's name is Baxter. His butler's name is Butler. <laughs> yeah, they keep talking about it because uh, the the adult son beginning of the movie broke his arm in the fight. He's one of the four goons that took on uh, uh, Costner and Duvall's like, little boy. Moe's. Moe's. They're and big boy. They're big little Moe's boy. apparently broke his arm when he beat up everyone else. And they keep talking about the movie like, does it matter that his arm's broken? He's he's still like the toughest gun in town. Like he's, he's a threat. It does it with either hand. It does not matter. And Duvall even asks like Costner, if you heard of this guy, like in your, like when you used to work for ranchers, have you heard of Butler and causes character is like, I have, he's bad news. And going into the conversation about the last fight, they're like by their wagon talking about it. I really love is Costner's character is going through the list of like, here's our strategy. And he's like, 
laying out exactly who Baxter would have hired, which is he's going to have Butler as his main gun. He's going to have a couple, maybe two other hired guns. He's going to have a, a bunch of like ranch hands as the rest. And then a bunch of like common dudes as the rest where it's like, okay, so the main gunmen are going to be tough. Everyone else is more likely to just scatter. So if we just kill the main dudes, we'll have no problem. He's yeah. like describing exactly who will get scared by what and how and how they can last somehow as the two guys against like a dozen. Yeah, it's not because like you think of a Western gunfight and there's like everyone's hiding behind like cover or whatever, shooting out of windows. And the Costner character is like, I know you've got grit, but you don't really know anything about gunfighting. Here's how it's actually going to go down. Most of these people are going to run away because they're scared. And we're going to do it out in the open. And he's and he even describes like we're going to be out in the open, which puts us at a disadvantage. But they're also going to be out in the open, which means they have the same disadvantage smart that's some big brain stuff like his entire description of the fight uh, before it even happens to me is like such a smart little note in the movie of like oh this is like a western with like tactics this is a western where like this guy is a seasoned veteran and is thinking about this like a war you know he's they painting really... this out like he's michael mann planning the shoot of heat they should have had him go equalizer kill vision pre-visualize all the murders he's about to do <laughs> he does equalize them he i mean the, end. the butler thing is by far the coolest shit in the movie it's cool and funny and i love it man yeah the tank murdoch that they spent so much time building up they're like having their pre-gun fight uh like parlay or whatever where they get to deliver their lines at each other and Costner is like, did you kill my friend? And he's like, yeah, I did. And I like and doing it. And he digs it. into it. And he, like, the he's butler character is An so, laugh. he's chewing into it. He's like the most evil guy. He is smirking so big. His face is coming out of the screen. He is chewing into every line. Yeah, I, I killed your friend and I shot the little boy too. And I liked it. Yeah. And then Costner fucking domes him immediately. <laughs> Right between the eyes. He walks right up to him. The gun is like not even like four inches away from Butler's face and just fucking caps him. It's so sick. The guy's in the movie for like two minutes and dies. And that's like, I love that character. Before we even get to the gunfight, like that character, he is played, Kim Coates plays him so over the top. He is He's like in maybe three scenes in the movie. Maybe two, actually. I think he goes, we see him at the like jail where he's like, chewing into the to the marshal like really evilly and then we see him here where he chews into costner all evil and he plays it so over the top to a point where it would be exhausting except he gets domed immediately yeah so he he's can't like be exhausting mustache twirling villain like cartoonish guy it's great and because it's kim co it's like someone you recognize so you're like oh this guy's gonna be in the movie for a little bit as like the main heavy but no <laughs> Yeah, they borrowed that trick from Smoke and Aces. Did they? When did that come out? No, it came out in 06. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the main movie I associated with. The real movie they stole it, they took it from is uh, Collateral. Oh, right. Very similar trick in Collateral. That's so, uh, Costner walks up to Butler and says, Yo, homie. You kill my friend? You kill my friend? <laughs> yeah, and then that kicks off the the back end of the movie, which is like 45 minutes essentially of 
gun battling. It it feels like a straight forty five of of gun battling. I rewatched it today this afternoon, and like there's a bunch of downtime in it. So I think it's like it's like that gunfighting is strewn throughout because there's all these moments where they lose each other and have to chase each other through the town, or they meet up and they have another showdown. But it does it feels like like you said. I think it's close to like twenty thirty minutes of just straight tense conflict where like you were saying before this movie is sort of like it is it is it is slow it is uh relaxed for like the first opening like act and then even when it gets into these guys need revenge they are very casually planning out and searching through town for their revenge and then suddenly when this fight starts it's when they're behind it's like when he caps the guy immediately it is high action high tension tension high violence with really chaotic filmmaking for the last like 30 minutes. Yeah, it's really like unsexy, unromantic too. It's not like this like gun ballet or like super choreographed. It's kind of like guys running around in like pretty wide frames where you get both people shooting at each other like in a single shot. It's cool. It looks really very cool. It's incredible. Uh, it The way he shoots it, is insane to me because he keeps putting the camera behind objects or inside buildings in a way where like our gunmen are a little obscured or the distance between them gets obscured by anything. There's a shot where Costner is shooting at Baxter. I believe Costner's left side of the frame. Baxter's in the right. The camera pans back behind some horses and captures them between the legs of the horses. Yeah. I was from the ground. And so, there's a horse on the left and Costner is in between. You can see his, him between the legs of the one horse and on the right of the frame is Baxter. And I think you're seeing him uh, underneath the like post that you tie a horse to. Basically they're both framed by elements of the environment and the movie keeps doing this. These kinds of shots that are just beautiful in the way, a kind of framing that I wouldn't think of. And I don't think that I've really seen use this extensively in a fight before. I haven't seen a Western fight that was shot like this before. It's yeah, really either. intense. It, it it grounds it and it makes it feel really chaotic while the whole thing, like you can make sense of where things are happening the entire time. And the, the geography of the fight is perfect. Yeah, it, it feels really naturalistic. Um, I was just impressed because like very often you, you have the two people shooting at each other and it's not cutting between. You have them in one frame. So like the the gun firing and like the squibs going off behind them are like really well timed. Like, I don't know. It it must be all like very highly choreographed, but it doesn't come off that way. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's like, yeah, it's like one of the best final gun, like gunfights in a movie. Basically. Yeah. It's, it's really, really distinct without seeming like flashy or showy at all. It feels natural. Like you said, it, it has this like gritty naturalism to it the way that it's shot. I, like you said, it keeps going. There's a lot of wide shots of the two gunmen in the same shot as they're fighting each other. There's a lot of moments where the framing is just incredibly unique. And I've never seen before. I, it's just, it is extremely intense and exciting. Like the second he kills uh, Baxter Butler, the second he kills Butler, the lines break. And it's just like, it goes to this like wide shot and you have Duvall and Costner in the middle of the street by themselves, the bad guys have scattered to the winds 
and they're firing in a bunch of different directions as they're trying to shoot at what are at this point, I think, four guys that are left alive in all different directions from them. They're beset on all sides and like credit to this town that they built. We said before, like it's a great looking town. Movie looks great. And because we spend so much time in this town while they're running across these streets and going everywhere and this fight spills out all across the streets, we never lose the sense of place for where these characters are. Like I like the map of the fight makes sense in my head as I'm watching it and it never gets lost. No matter where the camera cuts to what angle we see, it is always sensible. It always makes it always is completely readable. It never gets lost. Yeah, good job, Costner. You did Way it. Way to go, Cos. Um and J. Michael Murrow, the cinematographer. Yeah. And anyone else? Nah. Eh, I'm Duval. giving all credit to Costner. It all it, you know what? That is there's all tourism. I believe the director did everything. I also feel like I've I've been hard on him in the past, so I'm gonna give him this one to balance the scales a little bit. Coming around cause nation the uh i kept i think just because i had had watched uh unforgiven fairly recently and the quick and the dead very recently i kept wanting the like michael gambin character to be uh gene hackman mm-hmm. and i was like kept being a little put off when they would cut to him and it wasn't gene hackman because it's like the same exact character that he plays in both of those movies oh i forgot he was in both of those movies yeah he's like he's it's kind of funny that he's in quick and the dead at all yes it's awesome that movie (laughs) is very sick i saw Uh, quick and the dead before i saw unforgiven and i haven't seen quick and the dead after seeing unforgiven well i should have revisited it because that sounds really funny um in context i also just had the quick and the dead in mind uh because you had asked like about the last like western that was just kind of like a straightforward genre western that wasn't super interested in uh revisionism and you know i i was thinking of the quick and the dead which came out kind of in between unforgiven and um open range and that that was just like another potential direction for the western was to just like become completely postmodern like cartoon version of itself go go all the way into maximalism yeah like do a a classic gunfighter story but in like at the most 90s way possible yeah because quick and the dead is still like sincere about its characters yeah and about the it's just formally story of the insane crow character yeah which is like that's sam raimi's trick right is he makes these movies that are uh tech like in terms of their narratively sincere but formally yeah just uh, bonkers transformative <laughs> another that i was thinking of um during this was um a few years on the other side of open range, which was the three ten to Yuma remake, mm-hmm. which I think is doing the same type of thing where it's like hearkening back to a, a classical Western, but that three ten to Yuma is like so twisty and plotty 
it feels like a very different thing than what this is. It's not like the big romantic thing. It's like an action movie. The violence in 310 to Yuma, because I was thinking about like a classically kind of romantic Western, 310 to Yuma is violent in a way that a lot of modern movies are violent. Uh, I feel like I feel like it's a little more violent than I'm thinking of versus like this movie, which is so it is just so sweet in a way yeah. that that like it balances that violence with with um with a with a sweet heart underneath it. Whereas like 310 doesn't have that. And I feel like that's something that used to be more common in Westerns is that is that sentimentalism. like even something like uh, John Ford's The Searchers, which I keep. I kept thinking about John Ford while watching this movie, which is why I was wondering, like, what's the last movie that felt like a John Ford, like, romantic movie? Not that he only made romantic movies before people yell at me, but that he could have this romanticism. Like, something like The Searchers is both kind of like one of the early revisionist westerns as it kind of uh, kind of very much criticizes its main character, played by John Wayne. It's also deeply romantic and sweet when, like... Like it's a sweet movie. It is. It is. It does both. It's both romantic of the West and like deeply cynical about the place of its main character, who is this Confederate soldier, uh, in the West. And it kind of has both. And I feel like this movie does both in a way. It has that you know cynicism around ranchers, cynicism around the Costner's background, but is able to balance that with a romanticism that I don't know that I've seen in a Western movie in the last decade. Yeah. Not that there's been many Westerns in the last decade. No, yeah. And I think the fact that it is coming out in this environment of the Western where, like, you either have something that's, like, Unforgiven, that's, like, just explicitly, like, a commentary on the genre, or something like The Quick and the Dead that's just very, like, flip and casual with its violence. But I think this feels a lot more sentimental and romantic than it might mm. had it been released in a different era or context of the Western. If it had released in the 50s? Yeah. I, I, I don't think it would feel that like out of place. No. Because it feels like a throwback to the pre-70s Westerns. Right, yeah. Which, which could have some of that like critical angle to them, but could also be romantic at the same time. I think like the last Western I saw that played it straight and was completely sincere was True Grit. Yeah, it's it's interesting though because it is it's different from the original. So like it mm-hmm. is doing something there whereas like this movie is like less directly in conversation with any of its predecessors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but True Grit is like it's still a, a straightforward sincere yeah, movie. Yeah. Like there's no angle that it's taking. I think like the main the main complaint of True Grit when it came out was that it didn't have like that Cohen bent of cynicism or uh, commentary. Was that often they can make often like they're making movies that transform their genre or look back on their genre in some way. Like, hey, we made a noir, except the noir we made is about a stoner. It's not about a detective. Versus like True Grit, which is just no, we just adapted. Yeah, we True just Grit. did it straight. Because uh, I know my complaint when True Grit came out was that it was when I was younger, I thought like, oh, this movie's just, it's too straightforward of a Western, which now I'm like, that's why it's good. <laughs> why can't we just have more movies that are just straightforward Westerns? But watching this like blew me away watching this, uh, watched a couple of days ago, just how 
how romantic it can be for its for its characters and its setting and how i feel like sincerity i think is lost in a lot of just like modern hollywood movies yeah it's and i guess i just miss sincerity it it almost it almost seems like surprising that uh both of our guys get like a very happy ending Mm -hmm. they're like oh that's nice i guess i didn't know you could still do that yeah even though like they they're going to the final battle talking about how well i guess we're gonna die you know oops psych we're gonna live nope oh he spent all my money on this chocolate and now i gotta live (laughs) fuck now they're in debt fuck they're in chocolate debt with chocolate loan sharks coming after them the rest of their lives oh no do you think you have to pay if you mess up a town like that with all your gunfire Ooh, i don't know surely they have insurance I guess the marshal's dead, so no. There's no one to enforce any laws. I like how the town's just cool with them. Even though, like, they fucked up. The, like, the town seemed like it was fine under Baxter's rule. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't he seem like he do was, anything like... to the townspeople. Yeah, I mean, he, like, owned the bar, I guess, and didn't let them serve free grazers. I don't... It's not like he was some kind of tyrant. Yeah, it's this isn't like a this isn't like you know fistful of dollars where the town is like oh there's no one who lives in the town except the gang anymore because the gangs are ruthless. No, in this movie the town's fine. They just don't let like free grazers in. He like exerts the same level of control as all rich people do. Mm-hmm. It but like yeah, so it's like as far as the town is concerned, life is just kind of whatever. And then suddenly Costner and Duvall brought a bunch of bunch of violence to town. And they're like, you know what? Yeah. Let's kill let's kill these yeah, guys. Yeah. That's another thing that like goes away from a cynical bent. This movie's not cynical at all. Like the town does join them in the end. Halfway through the fight, uh the townspeople start coming out in the streets with guns. Yeah. Uh, there's the the guy whose dog they saved. Uh one of the one of the bad guys tries to get into his home with has a gun. It's like, open the door. And the dude opens the door, blasts him with a shotgun and says, it's locked. <laughs> yeah, he has a, you mess with Spider-Man, you mess with New York. You mess with one yeah. of us, you mess with all of us. Yeah, and then suddenly after that, the whole town has guns are in the street. Like the fights kind of died down. The characters are just kind of like, they all meet by like the sheriff because uh, the rancher now has Diego Luna captured and a gun to his head and he calls them out and the town all comes out and the town all have guns and they're like we're not putting up with you anymore because he's like hey if you come and mess with me anyone in the town you're all dead and your families are dead and by the way guy with a dog you're especially dead and some lady's like guy with the dog's our friend that's my friend and that's like what turns the tide that is the you mess with one of us you mess with all of us line she's like guy with dogs my friend everyone else is like wait a minute he's my friend too yeah i brought my gun (laughs) out for this mike jeter's out there with a big old gun yeah and then they end up staying there too it's not just that the town likes Mm -hmm. them they like the town it's mutual yeah Duvall buys the bar he says turns out the barkeep you know died because we killed him in the west you could kill the barkeep and take his bar empty bar very convenient for me and no marshal to arrest you for murdering the barkeep what a what a better time i guess back then there was no murder because if everyone's like it was fair 
I saw it yeah. and just got away with it. Well, I mean, Duval stresses that there is a difference between killing and murder. Yeah, that's the lesson, right? Because Costner's going to cap like, the guy that he gets in the ground halfway through the fight. He's like, whoa, 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 we came out here to kill people, not murder people. <laughs> that's something I just, I didn't quite understand. Because... <laughs> So, like, you're okay with killing a guy if the first shot takes him down. But if it doesn't, call it off. Yeah, that's not fair anymore. It's not fair. You're now at an advantage. Of course, you're allowed to walk up to a guy and shoot him in the face before the fight started. Yeah, cold cock him. Well, I guess he killed their friends. He also just, like, mortally wounds Michael Gambon, but then doesn't finish him off. Mm -hmm. Kind of fucked He lets up. him die. Yeah, and his reason for not finishing him off is like, I'm, you know, you don't deserve peace or whatever. He says something. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to waste a bullet on you to put you out of your misery or whatever, to save you some pain or something like that. And the doctor's watching at this moment, and it's supposed to be this thing of like, you're watching Duvall not quite do a moment of mercy, but he doesn't stoop to murdering the guy. And you can tell, like, maybe the doctor would have judged him if he murdered him. But the doctor also doesn't rush over to, you know, fulfill his Hippocratic oath. And, and save this man it's i thought it was funny too that there's, there's kind of like a ticking clock um where they're like oh we have to go in there because diego luna's been shot and we need to get the doctor to him i'm like what the fuck is the doctor gonna <laughs> he's not like magic he's gonna take the we gotta get the we gotta get the doctor to diego luna so that he can tell him that he needs to get in bed and rest up what did you even yeah what did you even do about gun bullets back then take them out i yeah, guess but yeah i don't know stitch them up i guess what do you even do about them today there's not much you can do is there your yeah, body just has to do i it. don't know haven't been shot in a while yeah it's been too long <laughs> not up to date on the i'm gonna have to get shot again this weekend you can update this episode afterward let's see what the current strategies are for cleaning that up yeah they like keep uh expressing the importance of the, the town doctor no, I guess it was like incredibly good. Also, kind of doesn't charge them anything. We could, our current nice system out. could learn something from this guy. Yep. We should go back to how it was. Things were better. Things then. were better when the town had one doctor and he would just randomly decide whether to overcharge you or not charge you, depending on if he liked you. And if he's just at someone else's house, you die. <laughs> yeah. The doctor's well, not available not because right the rancher took him for like. <laughs> A full week, not a week, but it's like a He'll whole day. He'll be back when it stops raining. Yeah. yeah, we should become return guys for the old the west, old west, old west healthcare. Oh, just, life was just better back then. You got stuck in the you mud. Could go wherever you damn well please. Shot whoever you wanted. You could free graze a little bit, not much. Name one bad thing about eighteen eighty two. I can't. Nothing. I bad. cannot. Everything was better. Hey, we'd already solved, uh, we already ended slavery by then, so there was no yep. other problem. Racism was over. It was all good. Everyone was just hanging out. Yeah, we were just vibing back then. This movie's <laughs> about the vibe shift of 1882. Yeah. When, when you couldn't when free range cattle anymore. Shit. When they put all the barbed wire up and ruined this country. All I want to do is take my hundred cows from sea to shining sea, just like God intended. What happened to that? What happened to that America? I don't know. I mean, it was a better. It was a time when 
women that looked like Annette Benning said things like, Charlie, I love you. Beautiful time. Incredible. I'm going to become a free ranger again. I mean, if they let the Amish go on the streets with their horse and buggy, I should be able to herd my 100 cows down the street. Ooh, we don't have Amish down here. Oh, we have them here. I don't know. When I, uh, whenever I visit my parents and I stop like halfway along in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, when I stop at a gas station, I'll sometimes just see like an Amish dude going by. You don't want to drive behind them because their horses will poop in the road and then you will drive over that poop. Don't do that. I'll keep that in mind. Also, because they're going at like five miles an hour because they only have two horsepower. Oh, because it's only two horses. Yeah. Sometimes they only have one horsepower. Damn. Two slow horses. (laughs) (laughs) Four very small horses. Something I really like about the end battle right before it starts is they make a point of showing all the townspeople leaving town. And not all of them, obviously, but most of the townspeople are leaving town, the ones who can't defend themselves. So you get the shot, this wide shot, the outside of town, and there's just a crowd of people leaving. It's a small town, so everyone knows a fight's coming. So they start escaping. And after the fight's over, like the end after the fight is over, uh, the rancher's dead, all his hands are dead. They make a point of showing all the dead people on the ground. And they shoot it like a war zone. They shoot it in a way that reminded me a lot of like World War II movies showing the casualties at the end of a battle, which is not something I'm used to seeing in a Western. I'm not used to seeing a Western that emphasizes how scared the townsfolk are, that emphasizes the fact that this fight in the middle of town where two guys took on a dozen guys is a battlefield, and it is like a war, and there are these people are casualties of this fight, and it treats them with the same weight that a war movie treats. It's dead people lying in the mud being held by their loved ones. It, there, there's a there's a weight of the cost of the fight in those shots at the end of it that I don't know that I've seen in that many Westerns, especially not one as romantic as this. Yeah, I think this has a good balance of like uh, treating the violence very seriously, but without having it be the only thing that the movie's about. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't walk away from it thinking that, like, the main message is, like, something like Unforgiven, where it's, like, some kind of meditation on violence. It's just, like, an aspect of the larger story and world that they're showing here. It's the cost of the victory that our characters have. Yeah. It's, the movie is, like, it's recognizing the cost of its story without making the cost the story. Hmm. Uh, I read it. It was reading an interview with Kevin Costner, he said that he based that ending of it, well, he said it saw photos. He was looking at photos from, from the 1800s, um, from this time period. And he said something he saw in photos of gunfights was this emphasis on people, you know, picking up bodies at the end. It's, it's the kind of shots that he was seeing in, in old photographs that he had not seen in the Westerns, a lot of the Westerns he was watching, so he wanted to make sure he represented that in his movie. That's cool. Yeah. Have you seen a slow West no it ends with just like a montage of showing every dead body of every person that died like throughout the whole movie that sounds like it's making a point yeah i i like it it's a cool little movie yeah that sounds neat but this movie doesn't end on the note of violence it ends on the note of like romance i love it it's uh because costner meets up with annette benning and there's just a beautiful shot he 
he like proposes to her basically he gets two separate like i'm yeah. staying here with you scenes that's that a little weird odd yeah <laughs> the first one's very sweet though the first one is i think it's the first one it is another beautiful wide frame shot where he is on the he and her are on the left side in the house there's like the house is on the left side of the frame they're right in front of it and then all this blank space is used to the right of them to show like the like this beautiful sky and these beautiful hills to express like it's basically the the picture is screaming at you this is romantic look at how beautiful the sky and the environment is look how beautiful life will be when they're together and also like this is what i'm turning my back on to stay here with you because like mm -hmm. that's another thing is that he's leaving behind his uh his life on the streets on the prairies yeah so he basically see does he actually propose does he basically propose he does propose he says i think i could be a good husband to you i feel like that's mm -hmm. close yeah enough. he does propose it's cute and then he decides to leave because he has to, I think they had to go get the cows and sell them and then come back again. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I'm going to come back. Don't you worry. Yeah. But it is weird that he tells her he tells her he has to leave and then he leaves and then he comes back and says, I have to leave. And then he leaves. <laughs> but really, I do have to leave now. It's cute, though. Yeah, they kind of like they kind of solve everything in their lives. I mean, Charlie's going to get to live a romantic life in love with uh, Sue. They're going to have a beautiful family in this town, Harm Harmonville. I looked it up. Does that, like, do they ever say that in the movie? Harmonville? Hmm? It says it here on Wikipedia. Yeah. I was going to say Harmon Town, but that's a podcast right. from Dan Harmon. It was uh, Winchesterton Fieldsville. <laughs> uh, like Robert Duvall's character, Boss Spearman, Blue Bonnet Spearman, gets to... Like he gets to settle down and he gets to, he saved the kid, right? His little boy, Button, Diego Loon is alive and he's going to have a home for him and kind of get, you know, he has now saved a, a family member essentially. And he has his like redemption. They're all like going to have happy lives now. It, it ends on this very sweet note of like the violence is behind us. We did it. We've earned our happy ending and we get to just live. Yeah. They're going to run a bar together. They should make that's a TV like, show of this. That's just, it's always sunny, but in the Old West. <laughs> I would watch Old West Always Sunny. Oh, absolutely. Ooh. Hollywood, are you listening? Call me up, Hollywood. It's Always Sunny in Harmonville. Um, yeah, it, it it's, it, it's cool that everyone just gets a perfect... A happy little ending. Not a sour no, note at the end of this movie. The only sour note is that Moe's and the dog died in the first. But that happened so long ago. I've yeah, I forgot about completely it. Completely forgotten about Moe's. Yeah, you say yeah. The, the movie, it's sweet that they all just all end on that happy note. There's no other than Moe's and the dog. There's like no consequence for it. It's not like it's not like oh we lose the doc right. It's not like we lose uh button we don't lose uh mike jeter right? yeah we don't lose the the characters you've been endeared to at all it's just everyone's happy now life's gonna be better they're gonna run the bar yeah i mean after moe's in the first act none of the good guys die mm -hmm. it's kind of amazing that through that fight 
And it's believable the way it plays out because the Costner character explains his battle strategy, which is kill the big guy, everyone else runs away, and it works out. Kill the head because and the he body will die. Yeah, cut off the head, body will die. They don't. It's amazing they don't get hurt like two versus a dozen people, but the way that fight plays out makes it feel right and earned that they do make it through. They get shot the hell, though. They do both get hit. Yeah. But they've got a magic doctor, so they're okay. They're good. It went through. That's. I know that's good. It's just meat. <laughs> if it goes all the way through, you're going to be fine. Hey, you don't need a doctor if it goes all the way through. But I think that's all I have on open range. Yeah, me too. Uh, any big overall feelings you want to wrap up with? Yeah, uh, I I thought it was great. It, it was like, it feels like Costner going for a classic John Ford style Western in terms of the way it's shot, his love of the landscape, his his widescreen uh, pictures are just beautiful in this. It's so sincere in a way that I is refreshing. It's like, it is refreshing to see a Western that is this sincere and this romantic. And then it ends in just an incredible heat level gunfight, which is just the way to my heart is to have that in your movie, to have the kind of gunfight that I want to revisit on YouTube separate from the movie. (laughs) That is like the ideal movie. Uh, I, yeah, I thought it was really great. I, it makes me really excited for like Costner has a new movie in the works right now for the first time in, in ages. He's got this big, he's making a new Western that he'd been wanting to make for years. I think Yellowstone gave him the juice. So he has a new one. And I'm like, I'm like really excited. Cause I'm like, wow, I wish he had made 10 more movies like open range. <laughs> yeah. Same. I also liked it a lot. Um, I don't know if you're not like a fan of Westerns. I, I don't know how much this is going to move the needle for you. I don't, I don't think it's that kind of a movie, but for any like Western genre fans, I think it's definitely like, a must see of the last like 20 years or whatever. Um, yeah, I also worry a little bit that like, because it is so like unflashy that it, it might fade like what it seems to have done with general audiences. Like I, I wonder how sticky it's going to be for me in my brain. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I watched it two days ago and it stuck with me although that's two days on who knows especially just like the gunfight and the visuals yeah i think will at least stick with me i watched it today i I don't like to give my time myself any time to think about these movies before we talk to them (laughs) talk about them oh it's okay i only watched it two days ago because i was busy yesterday yeah i like i like for the movie to go straight into my eyeballs and out of my mouth without stopping at my brain at all (laughs) uh more Costner next week. We're doing the we're doing the cosplay triple play. We're gonna hit them three weeks in a row. So this week's open range. Next week, we're gonna have the Rifleman on board. Sean Candon and Seamus. I don't think Seamus has a last name. Uh, from my rifle, my podcast, and me to talk about the Untouchables. The Untouchables, yeah. And the week after that, we're going to hit a third Costner. The Touchables. We're watching The Touchables. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we're watching 
Is it Bull Durham? I hope it's Bull Durham. Is that what we planned on? Yeah. We're doing Bull Durham three weeks from now. Or two weeks from now. Three weeks from now for me. Two weeks from now for you, the viewers at home. Mm-hmm. Listeners at the home. Ear, I hope not viewers. viewers. I really hope they're not viewing this. Because yeah, I'm fully nude right now. I, please don't hack into my camera. They can't see it. Well, one thing... This might actually be a very smart podcast because I finally put a a little muff over my some inside baseball here. I, I changed my microphone setup, so now I can uh, wisely stroke my beard as I talk without it. Oh, uh, no! Inside baseball is in two weeks. This week was inside western. Oh, right! A little inside western information for the listener. I can now scratch and stroke my beard, which uh, ups my IQ, <laughs> as everyone knows. But yeah, next week, two guests. Two guests. Four people, one podcast. Has it ever been done before? We will be the first. We'll be the first podcast to have four people on at once. See you then. But until then, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Dadcore Cinema. You can follow me on Twitter at Brand at not at Brandon. At Brandon. At that one guy sixty four. And I'm at Charlie at the Tumboy. And until next time, remember, cattle are one thing, but telling a man where he can podcast in this country is another thing entirely. Bye-bye. Bye.